0: Every year for, for many years, I think, I don't know if they do this post Amazon acquisition, but Zappos had a pretty unique culture and they published this culture book annually where they'd asked everyone in the company from you know warehouse associate all the way up to, to exec team, what does Zappos culture mean to you? I think it was a pretty straightforward blank question. And people just would either write a few sentences, they'd write multi-page essays about it. Uh, they pull all this together and put it into a published book and that's the culture book. Uh, it's just interesting to see what the company means to people and how they capture that with such an open-ended question i might be getting some of the details wrong it's been a while since i've cracked it open but this is essentially that it's crowdsourcing and understanding what our culture actually is from the people who are are living it every day across all the different topics that might exist
1: i'm ben grennell part of the early startup team here at levels We're building tech that helps people to understand their metabolic health. And this is your front row seat to everything we do. This is a whole new level. I sat down with Ms. Michael Mizrahi, head of operations at Levels. And Sam, Sam Corco, CEO of Levels, he had asked Miz and I to document what Levels culture is like, and not just to do it independently, but to do it with the existing team members. The idea was to go over the different values, the different principles that we have that are not prescriptive. They're things that we live every day as a team and things that we do remotely to all stay connected. The idea was to get a lens on, A, are we aligned collectively as a team? Do we communicate these principles and values clearly and in a cohesive way within our team? If so, will this create content? Will it give us as a team some content that resonates with us, that we can share publicly with other people? And as well, content that we can really share with new team members. Hey, this is what it's like to work with levels. This is the way our team thinks about things, the way we communicate. And so Miz and I sat down and really worked through the process of documenting what we're going to do for this documentarian initiative, how we're going to do it, what it even is, what are some of the benefits of doing it in one way and executing quickly versus doing it another way. So really interesting exercise, pretty meta to record a podcast and document the process. But here it is. We work through it. We talked through it. And this is where we picked up. We're going to record a podcast that we don't even know if this thing's going to go out. We're just going to record our process in trying to figure this out. And what we're doing is Sam had tapped both of us to come up with five pieces of company culture that we might want to include in onboarding. Right so for new hires who come on board. So I think what we'll do is like let's work out sort of the what, the why and the how and then just go through these principles and see if it it makes sense. So whether or not we launch this as a podcast who knows but here we go we'll dive into it.
0: Sounds good. One thing also just to say up front that I think is a helpful framing that I also mentioned for Sam is that Um, As much as this is helpful for onboarding, it's also for current employees, right? We're we're 20-something people now, and the culture is being built as we speak and changing every day. And so it's not just for new people joining, but also kind of cementing some of the things we're already doing amongst the team.
1: Yeah. So like, maybe let's dive into that alone. So culture is an interesting thing that I'm sure we could digress pretty deep into, but Culture is not what you say, it's what you do. And culture is built around the conditions that are created, right? So it's like, we can't be like, culture is telling people to work hard. Like, that's not how you have culture. People aren't going to work hard from that. They'll work hard or they'll put in a lot of effort based on showing the principles from the conditions that are created. So autonomy, freedom, execution, like things that are valued, that's how culture is built around factors such as those.
0: Yeah, that feels right. And I think we want to often document it and like put in place a policy, have some writing that captures it. But in practice, it works a little bit differently.
1: Well, exactly, exactly. And less of like to push back on it, maybe less of a policy, because I think that's almost like the opposite of culture, right? Is documenting something, saying that this is our policy and then expecting culture to be born from that. I think it's more a matter of documenting it for visibility and for optics so that everybody can rally around what those North Star points are and agree and say like, yes, we understand that this is what we're all striving towards, as opposed to being prescriptive and saying, like, our goal is to move fast. Like, that's meaningless. It's like showing people that we move fast, and here's how we have moved fast and continue to do so is what will get everybody doing, putting one foot in front of the other at the same time.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I think we can take the world of policy and just kind of carve it out. Policies are for large organizations that need to control a lot of people through systems instead of through culture. And we're a small company, we can use. Guidelines and policies as kind of guardrails in the right places, if we're talking about expense policies or travel or reimbursement, things where it makes sense and there's a reason to protect something versus the culture of how we work is entirely different and not necessarily something you can prescribe top down.
1: Exactly. That's exactly it. So, if we dive in, like this is going to be the most meta podcast there is. It's a podcast that we're recording about working something out in real time, <laughs> so, including yes. the next steps. So, that's what's pretty funny. And, like, the point of this podcast, which brings it back to it being meta, is that this is really an inside look at us building the company in real time. So, here it goes. Sounds good. So, Sam wanted us to interview team members through either videos, like they could be asynchronous Loom videos or in an audio format, such as a voice message or even a written format to get their take on either what they view the five principles of culture to be like within our team or to get their take. Like if we work out, Hey, here are five principles that I think we're pretty aligned on, like as a team, they feel right. We can get feedback from team members, but we can also say, hey, Tom Griffin, head of partnerships. Hey, Tom, what does velocity mean to you if velocity happens to be one of those principles? Does that feel like it's in the right direction?
0: It does. Yeah, I think we basically want to capture how people work so that folks who are joining the company understand how we work. They can observe that over time and kind of pick up on cues from their peers, but we want to have something a little bit more formal to put in front of them to share and to show how we actually do things and how people get their jobs done well in ways that we appreciate, in ways that we we think are good markers of our culture. Um, there was a good example this week where Mike Haney, who leads our content efforts, was reaching out to myself, to Mercy, to Braden, to the support team, asking for um, members that he could interview for potential like blog posts that were coming up. Uh, and so he put out this call to say, hey, if you guys come across anyone that Seems interesting, let me know, would very much appreciate it. Which we we get these kinds of requests often, and a lot of companies, you know, there's a lot of requests flying around in a lot of different directions. And so we replied and we said, great, we'll keep an eye out, we'll keep you posted. And then three days later, so on Friday or so, Braden and Mercy replied back on the thread and they said, here's an ocean table, here's six to 10 customers that we've spoken to over the last few weeks. We've looked through their, you know, the conversations that we've had, these members would be great to talk to, and here's the reasons why. With a full matrix and, and just like delivered what they said they would pretty well and thoroughly. Uh, and I stepped back for a moment. And I was like, great. They said what they were going to do. They kind of delivered beyond the ask, the expectation. And I, I pointed out to them, I was like, this is a great marker of culture. You guys did something on a short timeline, delivered for another team, and like were consistent and thorough in your work. And you partnered up to do that. And so it, it sounds obvious, it sounds trivial, but it's nice when people do what they say they will, capturing that simple email chain for me is like let me put a bookmark on this one I'll label this email chain for if we ever build something around culture of like here's how we work cross functionally here's how we deliver when we say we will this is a good example of that
1: yeah that's it's funny that you say that because one of the i mean we're we're all going to have roughly the same viewpoint on what these cultural factors are that we really value as a team we semantically we might label them differently like speed versus velocity it's the same thing right but talking about exceeding expectations defaulting to velocity and then closing the loop like those are three distinct things that we we talk about time and time again closing the loop and that's where what you mentioned with mercy and braden is that like they followed through and that was like uh, closing the loop for Haney. Hey, Haney, here's what you asked for. Here's us executing on it. There you go. Hopefully your job, like hopefully we just saved you three hours of trying to find people through search because this actually took us like 15 or 20 minutes. I you think that's always like, work. exactly, exactly. Because we try to get away from tribal knowledge. Like we try very, very hard and that's through our documentation process, but no matter how well we document anything, and no matter how well any company does, the person who first documented it has the best lens. Where if there was a six page memo and you had to read through the whole thing, and I was like, Hey, Ms., the TLDR is we're going to reach out to subscribers because we've now hit a thousand, you'd be like, Cool. If that's the main takeaway, right? Like always making somebody else's job easier so that they know when and where to invest time is super important to our team to maintain that velocity.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And th- there's something interesting on the, the close the loop piece that I wanted to chat about, which is there's a nice alignment with our product there that is kind of fortuitous. We got lucky with it. But, you know, we're all about closed loop feedback systems. We talk about how important that is in, in behavior change and building good habits in the glucose sense. Our app is kind of built around that with activity logs, zone scores, the catalog. There's something nice about doing that internally as well and being able to say, we believe in closed feedback systems. If we run an assemblage like our virtual offsite, you know, we're going to send out a feedback survey, which again, most companies do, but we're going to integrate it in these ways. We're going to constantly pull out what we've learned, bring it back in. Uh, if someone opens an email thread, we're not going to leave things open. right? We're going to make sure we follow up. And Sometimes just building that habit, doing it consistently starts to feel really good. There's an alternate path where you're at a company that's larger, where there's a lot of initiatives, and there's so much going on that you almost fall behind in closing the loop and you only focus on your team's priorities or what's on your plate. Uh, And even sometimes those drop and you build a habit in the other direction, which is like things are going to drop. There's going to be a million things going on and we're always just going to keep moving forward and do whatever's most urgent in front of us. Uh, And so I like that we're building the positive habit here, at least at this point.
1: Yeah. And one thing that we're, I think we're trying to maintain, and this is what happens with larger organizations where they start to get slow is a recency and b focus. So recency, meaning like everything is, it's not that everything's on fire. Like everything is equally as important because it just came up (laughs) like, okay, that's not the way to execute, right? Like that is just. That is where people feel like they're doing meaningful work, but they're actually just doing lots of little tasks that are busy work. And the second is focus, like knowing when to say no so that and everyone can always get better at this everywhere, right? Is like knowing when to say no and when to deviate from saying no, because it's really easy to start exploration of everything that will, it seems like it will get us to an end goal, but in the end it becomes the opportunity cost of time, right? Like every minute that we spend on something that is not related to our North Star, and if our North Star is creating the best possible member experience and getting to launch, then it's like, what are the activities we have to do to get to that point? And knowing that our long-term goal is always creating a movement, creating an unbelievable experience and building this NPS unicorn that we often talk about. I think that's where we are trying very hard, especially as a remote company, to do things differently than larger organizations where it's like, okay, we've got all these initiatives going on and everything's important. And then, like you said, your time gets diluted and there's not really a cohesive focus that everybody is trying to maintain.
0: Yeah. The key is at this point, not trying to do too much, making sure that the focus is clear across the company and the priorities of teams are aligned. In a large organization, you have the OKR format, for example, which is setting those big objectives at the company level and making sure that each team's goals cascade into that and then each individual's goals cascade into their team goals. We don't yet have that kind of like massive alignment necessary because it's, it's just simpler at this point. We know what the product we're building is. The feature set is fairly scoped. And then this comes back to documentation and alignment. We have good docs, at least quarterly, that lay out the product strategy, that layout, experimentation strategy. And reading those brings you up to speed on the thought process that went into that, such that you can then go do your job and understand where it fits in the context of the larger company goal at this point in time. And so at least when I started, which was in the the fall of 2020, so last you know, six, eight months ago, or so ago, reading those documents through the, the onboarding and even the recruiting process gave me so much insight into what stage the company was at, such that even before I got in and before I got started, I had a pretty good understanding of what the priorities were for the operations function as a whole, uh, what needed to be done in order to make the dreams of, of of those strategy docs closer to reality. And so that's where the documentation really, really shined for me Was was very early on, being able to read through, understand thought processes. And that in itself was strategy and, and memos, but it was also a fair amount of culture, seeing how the disagreements happened, seeing how the conversations unfolded, understanding different perspectives of people on the team, all that happened in the past way before I was reading those docs, I was able to kind of get up to speed in a way with really, really high fidelity that wouldn't be possible in other contexts when there's just an output of like, these are the key objectives, X, Y, Z, and here's how we're executing them.
1: Yeah, it's a funny thing to think about because (laughs) like... I've never thought about it this way but like can you read culture like it's a weird thing to say but like you actually can because I I felt a similar thing where you feel like you're immersing yourself in the culture or like the conversations as a fly on the wall because everything we do everything almost everything 95% of things are done asynchronously and because we're a remote team and so the byproduct of that is reading through documentation, which are the conversations that occurred like asynchronously. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you feel like, oh, I was part of this meeting. I was part of this process. I was, I understand the culture and to your point of when there are differences in opinion that can come through in comments and you can see, oh, this is how it was resolved in a very transparent way. And that's, that idea of being able to read culture and almost feel like you have a bit of a pulse on it before starting is a really neat way of thinking about things. Because I can't think of another company where you would have this much transparency into what it might be like to work with, with the team.
0: Yeah, the big key that you're, you're touching on there that for me is a pretty central piece of it is transparency, right? In other contexts, I don't think companies or founding teams or whatever it might be would feel comfortable opening their books and basically showing you how some very key decisions were made. Like, here's our fundraising strategy. Here's the firms that we think are aligned with us and why we might go with them. That generally is going to happen between founders, between an exec team, behind closed doors, in a meeting, not even documented amongst themselves. And for new hires to be able to join a company of 20 and understand what the fundraising strategy was and why we did what we did and kind of how and when we chose to raise, being able to read that and then using that transparency principle across all of our documents, product strategy, all the memos that we write, because they're default open in most cases, you can see how the sausage was made. And because we're async, it's all written and in context there. Uh, and so those are things that are, are pretty tough to find in other companies that you join, even if they're small, a lot of those decisions are made and you you live and work with the, the outcomes of those decisions. You, you may or may not understand all the pieces of the strategy that went into it. In our world, being able to really, really just go into that history and understand it is incredibly valuable uh, and is part of the culture, right? We have this like default public culture. We're doing this podcast that people may listen to in the future. And we, we have that in mind, which has pros and cons. I think there's a flip side to it that's also worth thinking through and discussing. And it's certainly a conversation we have internally as well.
1: Yeah, I think that flip side that that you're leaning into is exactly what I started thinking about, which is it's great to be transparent. Like it is, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge believer in it subjectively. It's whether or not everybody agrees, and I'm not saying within our organization, with. Outside of our organization, there might be people who have a different lens, which is totally fine. The challenge with having so much access to information, especially as a new team member coming in, is that it's like, oh my goodness, where to start? You get cognitive overload and you get overwhelmed. Like, you think, oh my goodness, like, should I be reading all of this documentation? How far back historically should I go? Should I be reading? the January of 2020 docs, right? Like you don't know at what point you should stop because there are diminishing returns on digging into the content. I think that's natural. It's just the byproduct of like the further along we get in this journey, the more team members we bring on board, the more communication overhead there is and the more content there is to digest. And so I think it's a balance of setting expectations around here are the top, 10 or top 20, top X number of docs that you should refer to. If you choose to dig into other ones or come across them serendipitously in the future through linking, great. Feel free to glance at them, but no need to digest them. I think that's the challenge is like without giving people direction, people who are ambitious will come in and they'll be like, okay, I've got to download the library into my head. <laughs> you know. And so you're sitting there almost trying to study everything and being like, does this pertain to like the scope of work that I have day to day? And it might be something so long tail, like a clinical strategy. And if you're in ops, that might not be something that you need to spend an hour reading.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. You mentioned that because that's come up in the last few, uh, last few new hires that we've brought on board. You know, we have this onboarding project that links to a bunch of, of key documents along the way. And in the past, so part one, The volume of that is increasing, right? Like every week that passes, we have a few more memos that are out. And so just the the back catalog is just getting bigger and bigger. There's more and more to digest. Uh, And so what worked, let's say six months ago, in terms of having people get up to speed is just a much bigger task today. And there's so much more going on. Every new hire brings new perspective. So these docs are just getting longer and the number of docs are getting larger. Um, So that's, that's one piece. The second comes down to the different styles. Um, you mentioned like someone who's super ambitious might come in and just download the whole thing uh, and have to read through it over a course of, of a few weeks or weekends. I think people learn differently. Some people really thrive off of getting into those docs, understanding the details, learning the lay of the land deeply, and then zooming out and getting into their their functional role. Other people might work better when they have a question, and then they know that they can find the answer and go research it later on. And so there's, there's just different learning styles there that we need to consider that maybe we we haven't. We've had this approach that's just like, here's everything, get up to speed. But the last point that you mentioned around pulling out the top 10 docs to read, I think from a high level, it's very easy to say, here's the growth strategy doc that's recent. Here's the content strategy doc from the last quarter that you should catch up on. Those are easy to pick up as the top 10. But the devil of, of the detail, the devil is in the details of culture are in those other Strategy docs that might not be relevant to a function, but if we're doing like a clinical research memo that's from six months ago, seeing how a conversation unfolded in an area that's not relevant is interesting too. Uh, And that's where a lot of those cultural details I feel like are are picked up on. They're not necessarily always in, in the flagship memos, but they're in those other ones. And so the question is how do we give people exposure to enough of those so that they understand how we do things? And then the next question is, is there another way to do that? Is it necessarily that everyone has to pick up on those details? Sometimes that can be you know, pretty light to pick up on. Do they have to get that through the memos themselves or can we teach that or document that in some other way by saying, here's how generally we have conversations. Here's how we disagree and commit and build principles all like you know, Amazon leadership principles in that way versus having to, to show it. So that could be an approach that we take that lets the scale a little bit better.
1: Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because like take the top like air quotes, top 10 docs, most of them are going to have plus ones and like 100s. And like, I love this as the main comments, right? There might be some feedback where it's like at the bottom, like Mrs. Thoughts, X, Y, and Z. And that's fine. The ones that are meatier in or more thorough, let's use that word, that are more thorough in the conversation that has happened within probably don't surface that that easily. So let's use the, um, I think it's called the Levels Transparency Memo is what we ended up landing on for the title. But the idea was like the build-in public memo. And there was a lot of deep conversation between all team members as far as what our stance might be on, like how transparent we are as an organization and what are some of the benefits to it and what are some of the potential downfalls or the potential pain points of doing it. That has like really deep conversation and there's a lot of thorough feedback and it would take a person a while to go through all of the comment threads there. But I think that would give someone a sense of, hey, culturally, like this is how a team, because I would say that A fair number of our team members have left at least one comment in that doc. And so we don't use Slack. Like Slack is not a feedback mechanism. It might be for other companies, but we just say, no, this is not something that is easy to search and reference. All of our feedback should live in, and this is a a much larger conversation, but most of our feedback should live in Notion for anything pertaining to a doc so it's interesting that you bring that up because, yeah, it's it's hard to really get that reference point without knowing which documents to go into and why.
0: Yeah, it's almost like the, the failed memos or like the ones that led to a decision that didn't reach the outcome that was originally set out on. Those are the interesting ones, I think. And so, yeah, that privacy slash transparency one was an interesting one. Um, There's one that, that you put out early on around engaging the waitlist or just like converting more members that we didn't end up going with. But the conversation there was gold, right? It was like really getting into the details of like, what are we trying to do? Why are we doing X, Y, Z? And so maybe we should select those. And it's like the best of that you're not expecting.
1: Yeah, it's funny because I I just started thinking about that. And then you brought it up. It was called the double opt-in. Wait. Yep. Yeah. And I think like as a digression, JM had sent out an email earlier today talking about tapping subscribers. Like, Hey, should we think about how to really push on subscriptions as an initiative? And we've, we've decided many times over and over, we keep revisiting it, but that's not our goal in the near term is to drive subscriptions for a number of reasons, but let's say infrastructure is one of them. And that I'm almost positive that had come up in that double opt-in memo as well, right? Yeah. Where it's like, we've talked about this so many times through different threads that that's the lens on it, but how how would you ever find that information, right? Like, it's hard to get to the point where it's like, oh, I can see how all of these different decisions were made with five or more people all contributing to that final decision.
0: Yeah, there's, there's tribal knowledge about which of our documented knowledge uh, <laughs> is relevant at any point in time, <laughs> and that's okay. Like there yeah. was X many people on that memo at that time, six, seven months ago, and many more people have joined since. And so I think it's okay to say, hey, we actually discussed this a while back. The outcomes may be different today, but let's revisit that conversation that we had there because we spent a lot of time, energy, and thought on it.
1: Yeah, man, like as a side note, can you imagine the amount of tribal knowledge that Bezos would have?
0: <laughs> it's great. Yeah. yeah. But, oh, but it's, they, so, it's so cool, but yeah, they yeah. documented, so context- You know, obviously, we're reading, working backwards now as a team, and and kind of taking some learnings from that. But the way in which all of their learnings pull back into their principles is just amazing. Like they they really have built something special there in terms of culture.
1: It's very cool. It is very cool.
0: That's another subject for another (laughs) time.
1: That's right. Okay, so we've got a bunch of principles. I wrote down a number of them, and I think that what we want to do is land on whatever it is five eight, it doesn't matter the exact number, uh, number of principles, we can go through them. And if those ones seem to make sense, then we can run with those. And mm-hmm. what we'll do with them is we'll get, I think we probably want to have one standardized approach so that it's not confusing to team members, but we can reach out to X number of team members, whatever it is, five to seven team members, and get them to record a loom, like a five minute loom going through what each of those principles means to them. And then we can extract bites and maybe stitch that into together into like an intro video that's 10 minutes so that somebody can get a, like a new hire could get context for the way our team thinks about these principles. Or maybe yeah. we do it to levels announced. Like, I don't know. I'm riffing on it, but I don't know. Thoughts?
0: That sounds right. I think, you know, one compilation of it is an interesting deliverable at the end. The other thing is that each one of those uh, videos or recordings then can live on the memos or the policy pages that exist for a certain topic. So if we're talking about our vacation policy, we can have two or three videos on that page that explain how different people in the company think about our vacation policy. This brings to mind the the Zappos culture book. Are you familiar with it?
1: Not super, but...
0: So every year for many years, I think, I don't know if they do this post Amazon acquisition, but Zappos had a pretty unique culture, has a pretty unique culture. And they published this culture book annually where they'd ask everyone in the company from you know warehouse associate all the way up to, to exec team, what does Zappos culture mean to you? I think it was a pretty straightforward question, a pretty uh, standardized blank question. And people just would either write a few sentences, they'd write multi-page essays about it. They pull all this together and put it into a published book. And that's the culture book. Um, mm, that's really cool. interesting read. I have the, the 2009 one. Uh, it's just interesting to see what the company means to people and how they capture that with such an open-ended question. I might be getting some of the details wrong. It's been a while since I've cracked it open, but this is essentially that it's crowdsourcing and understanding what our culture actually is from the people who are, are living it every day across all the different topics that might exist. And so curious to hear what, which ones you've got on the list to start.
1: That's interesting. Like as an approach. So here's the thing, do we do that? Do we say, what does the levels culture mean to you, which is going to be open-ended and give people the option to, like we can suggest, say, you can do a video through Loom. You can write out a short response to like what it means to you, or you can do an audio message, Whatever is going to be the easiest to you. So like the upside is that it's open-ended. The downside is that we are putting cognitive load on people and the fact that they have to make multiple decisions, A, what is like this open-ended question of like, what does culture mean to you? And B, maybe they will think that it's more challenging than it is because they, they're like, okay, well, should I record a loom? If I write, how long does this thing have to be? Whereas if we are prescriptive in the format, that being, please record a loom and answer like these, whatever it is, five to 10 principles, like a short soundbite on what each one of these means. What do you think is like the better approach?
0: The medium, I think, is you know a personal decision for folks. I don't know that there's too much cognitive load there. People might just default to what feels comfortable. I think the open-ended over-the-leading question, I think we might be surprised at how much the results end up coming to the same, same points. Obviously, not in the same structured way. But I think if we give an open-ended question, what does levels culture mean to you? Or, or how do you feel the levels culture is, is lived every day? Whatever it might be. We're going to come back to a few of the same Fundamentals, right? There's gonna be something about transparency. People are going to talk about the async and remote nature of our work. We're gonna talk about documentation. They're gonna talk about closed loop feedback systems. You know, and so we can ask the questions about each one of those things, or we can leave it open-ended and and get the same answers in maybe a little bit more of an organic, less leading question way. I Mm. I like the idea of the open-ended question and seeing one, how aligned the team is and, and how much we actually are, how much what we think our culture is is actually what people think it is. Or not. It might be an interesting learning.
1: Very, very interesting. So maybe a way of doing it is that we can say, we can do the open-ended question. I think it would be neat to keep the format standardized only for future execution. So assume we say, please record a loom and well, whatever it is, say record a loom that's five to 10 minutes or however long, like walking through this question, what, what is levels culture and what does it mean to you? And then from there we can synthesize the feedback and extract each theme so that we like put the, together. The, do yeah, some editing? the the five themes are like velocity, async over sync, like all these things. And then we can create little like stitched together videos of videos and summaries for each one and say like a new hire comes on board and it's like here are like the five we asked our team what they thought levels culture was here's what it is and or here's what like everybody aligned on these five principles and then there's a little video that supports the short summary like what does velocity mean and it's every like everyone sort of and again we don't have to have every single person's answer in a video about velocity that ends up being 15 minutes but we would pick like five to keep it as this like nice two minute little tight video so that in total there's like 10 minutes of videos to watch and a couple summaries.
0: I love it. I think the the content will be super rich. There's a lot we can do with it. There's a compilation there's, you know, pulling it out into individual topics and doing some editing there. And we need to make sure obviously that we pose that question before we share any of this recording about what we think the answers might be and really just get true responses there.
1: Well, we'll default to velocity. Velocity is one of the factors, so we'll get this done quickly. Yeah. So here's here are the ones that I wrote down. It's, it'll be interesting to see where if there's overlap on all of them between both of us or if there's agreement, disagreement. But I think it'll be a good exercise for each of us to do it independently, too.
0: Yeah, go for it.
1: So as a side note before we jump into it, I think we can also – there are things that we can do this – We can use this execution tactic for such as vacation policy, which vacation doesn't, it won't, it likely won't tie into a conversation like an open-ended question about what is Level's culture. It might come up loosely, but if we wanted to create that as part of the onboarding experiences, we could pick out certain buckets and say like, please record a loom talking about the way you think about vacation or think week or benefits if we think that's going to make the onboarding experience better.
0: Yeah, I think you'd be surprised how much it does come up organically if we're asking about culture. At least if you were to ask me today, that would be one of the things my head would go towards.
1: It's so funny. It's Like my head doesn't go there. I think it's yeah. just also like everybody's got a different outlook on it. I'm just yeah, yeah. It's just like it's so it's so funny. But yeah, I'm jotting down okay, a few so...
0: here that I uh, that I'm thinking of before you before okay. I hear yours. But Yeah, go for it.
1: Default, I'm going to read them because I've got them as notes, so it's going to be a little bit dry, but default to velocity. So ship fast and often and don't worry about perfection. Make decisions quickly. If it's a one-way door, sink the ship decision versus a two-way door, a non-sink the ship decision, move very quickly, right? So it's like that velocity should come into not just execution, but also decision-making. Operate with urgency, but don't be reactive, Right. So there's a big difference between urgency, that being I'm going to get this done quickly, and we have to move quickly as a team and individually on everything we're working on. But we don't want to be reactive, we're getting distracted outside of what we're trying to accomplish every minute, every hour, every day, every week. React to fires, but be passive about recency. So if we have an infrastructure, an engineering, an operations, some issue that is a clear fire, act with. Absolute urgency, but be passive about recency. So, somebody sends a Slack message, and this ties into the next point, which is being asynchronous. But we want to act on opportunities when they align with our long term goals and what's best for our members. But we don't want to be distracted by, so that is my default to velocity. Uh, Next one async over sync. So, communicate clearly and default to being asynchronous over synchronous. Pretty simple. And that, I mean, that, that one we can dive into a little bit further, which is try really hard to not have meetings. And I think we do this very well as a company. And that is not just internal, but external. It's okay to have meetings, especially anything project-based or one-on-one catch-ups, if it's deemed that a meeting is needed to make progress, because it's going to take more time to go back and forth, right? But do your best to stay asynchronous, That's a better use of everybody's time. And I think we do that very well as a company. Mm -hmm. Experiment often. So this is something that I think experimentation is everybody's job. We want to experiment with everything. And again, this is like counterintuitive. This is a juxtaposition between like moving fast and saying no to a lot of things and saying focus, but also experimenting so that we're trying lots of things. So I know in that Amazon book, there's a line about plant lots of seeds because you never know which one will be an oak tree. And it takes a lot of seeds to actually bloom a tree. Mm-hmm. I think we need to maintain that same mindset where we are willing to experiment with absolutely everything, take away learnings and keep iterating on it. So it's that Build, test, iterate, build, test, iterate, go, go, go. And if we maintain that across a company where experimentation is not a byproduct simply of product development, it's a byproduct of ops, growth, partnerships, product, you name it, then I think it's going to get us to a good place. Member centric. So be member centric through the experience that we give people and the support that we offer them. All decisions are made in the best interest of members as opposed to levels as a business and this is something that haney and i actually discussed in the last episode which was nps unicorn how are we going to do that it's counterintuitive because if you're wearing a capitalist hat our goal is to provide returns to our investors returns to the company but if you're wearing our experience hat which is how are we going to build an nps unicorn that cares about members and that does the best thing for them That's the Amazon lens is that if you do that, we think that it's going to actually provide the returns. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've got a couple more here. So scrappy and frugal, do more with less, understand what time scrappy is and that it's more important than being money or capital scrappy. Our team's time doesn't scale. And so we have to find ways to do so. Closing the loop again, no matter what we're doing, we always want to close that loop, whether it's with internal team members about an initiative that was completed or with our members to say, hey, you gave us this feedback. Here's how we acted on it. Transparency, we talked about being open. And last one, this is one that Darren Murph from GitLab had brought up, but Sam and I talk about it often, is short toes, meaning we're not afraid to work together. Like We don't feel that we're stepping on people's toes by trying to help the company get to a better place. And that is... That is very much a juxtaposition to corporate culture, which is like, oh, no, this is Billy's lane of work. I don't want to step on Billy's toes. And then you have people going back and forth about like why, you know, you you waste so much time worrying about like whose work does that fall under? And so that's something that I think we maintain pretty well is just all working together to make sure we are making progress. So that is my list of cultural factors if your principles if you you want to yeah. call them that
0: i'm going to tack on a little bit to the short toes one the one piece there is is that it's not just worrying about if you're stepping on on billy's toes and caring about feelings or like making sure that everyone is, is aligned in, in how you're delivering a message there it's what that's prioritized over right and so like i didn't do project x because i didn't want to step on billy's toes and as a result we didn't deliver y for our members right and so it's it's making sure that like our priorities of of member experience, of product delivery, of feature putting out features, is prioritized over the internal like emotional dynamics that we should be mature enough to navigate effectively. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's yeah. exactly it.
0: Yeah, your list is interesting. I very much align to a lot of the same themes. I think about them differently from like a different level of altitude when we get into the details. And so not to, I didn't put together a list coming in, but I think a lot of the principles are the same. There's definitely one around feedback internally in the product. Uh, I think that's where something like short toes goes, constructive criticism, a lot of feedback, a lot of thoughts, a lot of input, but still having single-threaded leaders and decision-makers in a particular area. There's something interesting around time. You mentioned velocity quite a bit. I think there's also something to being resourceful and smart about our time, where a seed stage venture back company like clock is ticking, we're spending money here, um, making sure that we're spending it smartly, um, which doesn't always mean frugally, right? Like sometimes there, it is smart to spend money to get to an outcome faster because it'll save us time of our team's time or of our team's effort. And so if there's something simple that we can pay for, like a service or a product, not being super frugal there and realizing that we can push the limits here, we're supposed to find things out fast uh, and it's okay to prioritize time over money in some cases. Obviously we wanna be smart about that, but that's definitely a part of the culture that can feel uncomfortable to people sometimes to to dive right into that.
1: Yeah, um, I agree with that. Definitely agree with that.
0: I think a lot of that comes from Sam too. There's sometimes where we have to recalibrate on something like, are we sure we wanna do this? That's like a big dollar amount. And he's like, absolutely, here's why. So there's been a few of those that come to mind. There's a big piece around process. In my head, I go to specific memos, right? So like memos over meetings or mandatory minimum vacation policy, right? And so like from the outside, something like the mandatory minimum vacation, you know, as our policy is, it's that everyone should take at least one week off per quarter. So we have an unlimited vacation policy, quote unquote, but it comes with a mandatory minimum to make sure that people actually take it. Uh, And there's two effects to that. So you can look at it from the rationale of we want everyone to live balanced lives, to be healthy, to make sure that work isn't a center point, that they're recharging and doing leisure for the sake of leisure, not just to come back better to work. There's that side of it. There's also the benefits that come internally when people take time off. We learn where there are process gaps. We learn where we're missing documentation. And those are opportunities to to improve. Um, And so forcing engineer X to take off one week per quarter, if they're the only person that knows how to resolve a certain issue or outage or alert or run a certain process... Then that's a hole in the company, right? We shouldn't be reliant in that way. Obviously, people are gonna have specializations and be great at certain things, and that's okay. But because we're async, because we don't have an office, and because we lean into documentation, something like a vacation policy really forces that to happen. So on the one hand, there's the employee wellness benefit side of it. On the other, is that it makes the company stronger and it builds up our internal docs and our internal culture around being able to run efficiently and, and with good documentation, which we know matters for a bunch of reasons. And so I think think through that policy in, in a few different ways. I like We're, that.
1: That's a neat way of looking at it because it's not often that people look at it from the perspective of, oh, this is an opportunity for us to identify gaps. And it's very clearly the opportunity to do that is to say like, oh, we've got a gap here in skill set and process and whatever it is, because we're relying too heavily on that one nail to be holding the board together for the entire deck. And it's like, oh, probably not a good idea. We have to figure out how to spread that support around.
0: Yeah. That works interestingly too, when a company gets larger because a super large company with, with thousands of employees, like people can come and go, someone can leave a role and things get absorbed. There's enough redundancy built in that like, no process is that proprietary we're kind of on the other end of the spectrum where like every one person does a bunch of tasks and it's very easy for tasks to get lost. It's just something that someone runs every week. For example, every other week I'm doing physician fee payments, like not a huge process takes 20 minutes, but no one really knows how that works. And so a few weeks ago, I just like spun up a loom, recorded it while I was doing it. No vacation planned. I'm not planning to hand it off to anyone, but it doesn't hurt to have that documented. Uh, and it really makes you think through all the, the, the work that you're doing and making sure that it's built properly for the company. And so I like those double-edged policies that like improve the employee uh, experience, but also improve the company side of it. Vacation is a good one where that, that shines. I agree. Um, what else? I think you spoke quite a bit about transparency, or we did earlier at least. And I think that definitely is one of the cultural pillars. And so won't go too deep there. It's a topic in its own right. But something that we're pulling back a little bit that I'm curious if you've had thoughts on, is that we have our stated like values of the company. and you know, There's openness, there's transparency. I don't feel like we reference those nearly as much as we reference some of these cultural touch points that we're talking about here. And I wonder if there's a world where we need to bring these into alignment to revisit the company values that were set on the stone tablets when the company was founded and the founders met to kind of set out on building a culture versus how things have actually played out to this point two years in with how things are looking in practice. I think a lot of the... the Principles are the same, but the way in which they're worded and the way in which they're practiced—if uh, you just pull up our values on paper—doesn't exactly align to the the exact manifestation of those that you and I spoke about here.
1: Mm-hmm. I, it's funny. I, I thought about that uh, over the past few weeks, where like I've thought, what I know I've read the values and read them regularly. Where I keep trying to revisit them to say, like, are we are we living these values? Are these things that we believe that we all align on internally and not because I think there isn't alignment, it's just good to revisit them. And so the values are integrity, ownership, openness, boldness, and intentionality. Intentionality. I can't articulate words very well today. Intentionality. There's definitely overlap between what we've spoken about so far, but I don't think we reference these things like, let's look at, so openness... And maybe it's just changing like its semantics, right? Like openness is transparency because we talk about transparency, but openness isn't as salient or memorable in something that we reference as a team. We don't say like, well, Ms., that was great openness. We just say like the fact that you were transparent there really helped us with X, Y, and Z.
0: Yeah. And reading some of this now, one of the sub points on openness is uh, to minimize use of jargon and acronyms, create an environment where everyone can be understood and understand And so it's funny because we have an email thread going right now about use of acronyms. And I don't think anyone's referenced the fact that that's somewhere deep in our values. And so that's a wake-up point.
1: Are we using them? I haven't seen too many acronyms flying around, but...
0: We're having a a, a semantic conversation about the difference between lingo, which makes people feel welcomed and like part of a group, and I forgot what the, the phrasing was. And it wasn't acronyms. It was like lingo and jargon, and jargon, which can be kind of dismissive if you're not in the know. So... Yeah. That's well, a lot of this comes from Tesla too, I think, or sorry, from SpaceX and Josh's experience there with, with not using acronyms from an, an Elon mandate.
1: Seth Godin put out a blog post, I think yes. it was
0: yesterday. It was this weekend. Yeah, that yeah, actually
1: came up. Yeah. <laughs> that's so funny that you say it because I remember reading that. I was like, oh, interesting.
0: I, I pulled that in exactly into that thread. I said, yep, weekend reading. Here it is. Yeah.
1: Nice. Very nice. You had more of these values.
0: Um, what else do we have here? Boldness. I mean, bias towards action, pursue progress over perfection. That's definitely something that you mentioned up front. Take justifiable risks. Yeah, these all feel right. You know, you read them on paper and, and they sound great and they feel in alignment with what we actually practice. But the way in which we have them documented here is like core values. If we do that experiment and run that, you know, what is levels culture to you? I don't know that we would get these words specifically.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, very interesting. What are some of the other principles that you had written down as we were going through them?
0: Yeah, so feedback was a big one, which has a lot of different things in practice. Being resourceful with time, whether that means making smart decisions, delivering what we say we will, like removing the white space between teams and between asks so that things just move along. Process generally, I think we have a focus on process and documentation and thinking through how we're going to build things scalably and intentionally there it is versus just doing things as one-offs right like everything that we do we're pretty careful about putting together thoughts on and and building a process for it so that it can grow and be iterated on and live somewhere in documentation that's the redundancy piece that's async that's meetings over or memos over meetings right like all those are little process things that by joining this company you kind of sign up to experiment with like we don't do things traditionally things are going to change we're going to Experiment with different approaches, different tools, different formats, different templates. And being open to that constant change is, is I think, part of our culture at this point. Transparency is probably the last big one that I jotted down on paper here. I think with time and with with effort, this might look a little bit different. But again, the principles are all there.
1: Yeah. one One other principle that I think about often, I don't know. It must be documented in our values... Yeah. I mean, again, I think it's like loosely documented in the way that they're written out, but it's more a matter of thematically, we all hold these values, which is honesty being one, but, and that's back to feedback and transparency, but respect, right? Mm -hmm. So I think everybody navigates with a moral compass that is pointed North as far as respect goes. Like everybody operates with utmost respect for each other. And there's not a lot of again, maybe, maybe it's because of the size we are right now where we're able to maintain like somewhat of a utopian culture, if you want to call it that. But you don't get a lot of disrespect. Like, you, We will disagree, but it's not in a disrespectful way. Everybody respects each other for their knowledge, for their skills. And I think everybody looks up to each other too. Like, Everybody is like, wow, Miz is so great at operations. I look up to Miz at how good he is at Operations, right? Extrapolate that across the team. I think yes. we've got this like underlying theme of respect when communicating with each other and when valuing the input and the work that everybody's doing.
0: That's fair, and that's definitely one that strikes me, and I think it strikes other people. If you like, pull up a Friday Forum video of ours, which we send out to a group. Like something that always gets me there is just how genuine everyone is, and it's not a show, it's not an act. Like people here are genuinely very nice, as compared to places I've worked in the past feedback positive comments like using the the woo channel to celebrate each other's wins like i think there's other companies that have that and that that have those kinds of pieces built in to kind of build culture quote unquote but what we don't have here and i think part of it is a, is a product of our size at the moment is you're not having like the back channel conversations where like you know you're saying one thing publicly and, and then you know sharing your your true thoughts uh, somewhere else like people are genuinely honest with their thoughts and generally nice to each other and like gracious to each other as, as human beings, there's a certain maturity there that's great where you don't have this culture where everyone's kind of competing to against each other and like positioning and, and rallying and jockeying in a way that I I do think you see quite often in other companies. And even reading back again to this, this Working Backwards book, this, this Amazon book, you know, there's a, a whole chapter about the WBRs that are on the weekly business reviews and how WBR has gone awry, looks like an executive running the meeting who's already calling out the presenter before they've even like presented their metric or whatever <laughs> it might be before they've even had a chance. I'm like, I've definitely been in work environments where that's been the case. Where I've like been sitting in a WBR and feel that kind of, of wrath coming. We don't have that yet. Yeah, and hopefully we a, keep it that way.
1: Yeah, it's the tension. And I think that it's, as you mentioned, it's fictitious in some companies where it's like completely an act oh we yes we're very respectful but then you hear or see these these things that are that occur that are counterintuitive to everything that is being said and it's counterproductive right and yeah we don't have that and that's one thing that by not having this sense of peacocking where everybody is trying to like Show their plume. Show like, look how great I am. Nobody's competing in that way, and that like I've thought a lot about this. That might very well just be a byproduct of being remote, where you don't get these side conversations. Like, oh look, Ms. Actually, I think you and but I have Sally talked about had this. For lunch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah like, Sally came in at nine thirty. Yeah, right? and Sally left at three, and you're like, yeah, Sally. Like the rational, mature adult goes. Sally worked 95 hours this week. I don't care when Sally comes and goes from a chair. Yeah,
0: <laughs> like no, but, but really the it. side comment, even in jest, is like, oh, Sally's a part-timer. Ha, ha, ha.
1: Like, yeah, Sally doesn't you, you do just, her work. You yeah. can't
0: control those comments in person. Um, and
1: they, those become toxic, and I, those do not result in a productive and a healthy work environment. And where it, it's really funny is, like, you and I have talked about it before, where it's like, oh, look – Miz and Ben are going for a walk. I wonder what they're talking about. And they're like, probably just cycling. Like they're probably yeah. talking about going cycling together on the weekend, <laughs> or if it's somebody who might be a co-founder of a company or in some leadership position. Is everybody looks at things with align um, as far as like how aligned Miz is with Ben or whatever, whatever it is. It feels very much like the Big Brother environment, like Big Brother, the TV show. Not that I watch it, but I understand enough of it from Pam watching it that <laughs> you get that. Who is aligned with who, right? And we don't have that because nobody knows it. it. You, nobody knows if you talked to Sam for seven hours today or not. And it doesn't really matter. It's like, is Ms. shipping work? Is Ms. contributing? Is Ms. being respectful? Is Ms. holding all of these other cultural values like close to his heart in the way that he's executing? And it's like if the answer is yes, then we're in a good place. If the answer is no, where have we gone wrong?
0: Yeah, it's very hard to pull remote, to separate remote from a lot of these pieces that we're talking about. It's so built in and like such a, a fundamental piece of, of the culture that we are remote. It's like you're not seeing the conference rooms with, you know, walking by and seeing who's in it. You're not seeing people going on walks. You're not experiencing all of those pieces. And obviously, we know, we know there are like downsides to software, but there's so many pros to it as well that play out in a bunch of, of really meaningful ways. So yeah, that's a, that's a good one.
1: Nice. Well, I think we're in a good place. I think the, so next steps, let's put together a little doc, like a one pager saying, Hey, here's what we propose, which is doing the loom or all the things that we talked about. We'll tap everyone in the company. We'll stitch it together as a video for new hires. Here's how we'll chunk it out. We'll send that to Sam, get some feedback on it. And then if all is good to go, then we can start by sending out the what is levels culture as a question to, maybe instead of sending it to the entire team, we can send it to like five people to begin with, just in case there's feedback that comes in where it's like, oh, this is like, think about tweaking it this way, just so we're not like monopolizing everybody's time. Yeah, exactly, (laughs) taking one shot and everyone's like, man, this does not work. Yeah.
0: And then the the editing piece is probably going to be, we'll have to see what content comes out of it, but we can lean on on Anthony, the video editing contractor we use to pull this together nicely.
1: That's exactly what I was thinking.